1: Welcome to this episode of The Discomfort Practice, and as I've started to do on occasion when I need it, I am going to suggest before we start chatting and I introduce my guest, I just invite you with us to pause wherever you are, to take a moment to take three breaths and just ground and get present with us. So get comfortable standing or sitting or driving or whatever you're doing. If you want to close your eyes and you can do it, if not, keep driving. keep an eye on your small child or whatever you need to keep your eyes open for. But so let's just take three breaths. Take a breath in through your nose, out through your mouth, two more in your own time, just allowing yourself to be present, to let some of those tabs in your brain close, and to just have a single focus, if you can, on what we're about to talk about, On where you are right now on reality. Let go of the past, let go of the future and just enjoy this treat of being present. So that helped me to ground because I'm in the midst of a busy work day and a very busy work week and a big time of transition in my life and that's part of what we're going to talk about today with my guest which is about life transitions and how to stay grounded when you've made a big life transition that I'm sure a lot of listeners will be able to relate to or maybe are longing to do. So I'm joined today by Tiffany Chang. And I met Tiffany as part of my work that I do as a head tutor for a course for this Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. She was a speaker and then she was so awesome. I wanted her to be on our team. So she's also on the team now of this course, Communicating for Influence and Impact. And we work with senior... Uh, leaders around the world, and we run four different presentations of the course every year. So it's quite special. We basically get to help, guide, support, and kind of sherpa a lot of really incredible professionals into having more influence and impact on issues they care about. So Tiffany is inspiring. I'm sure you will agree. Tiffany Cheng is a leadership communication coach, and she helps senior leaders overcome Barriers to making good decisions, to influence better, to drive change at work so they can achieve business goals, career purpose, and self-growth, and a feeling of having accomplished what they wanted to. But before that, she has a really long career in some pretty high-flying corporate roles. She was the vice president of communication at the Volvo Group and the Atlas Copco Group and spent 16 years in corporate communications. And she directly advised nine global and regional presidents and coached nearly 100 senior leaders. But she also has a real life. And she has two young children and lives in Belgium, though she was originally born in China. And she has a border collie, which is one of my favorite things about her biography. So at home, she and her family speak English, French and Chinese. So a lot of perspectives going on there, a lot of a lot of blends, very modern international family. So I'm going to leave it at that because I know we'll we'll dive into part of Tiffany's biography as we get to know her. But she has a really fascinating story as someone who has recently left corporate life to pursue her passion and her purpose, knowing that the time for that one phase of her life was over and it was time to step into a new one. So welcome, Tiffany. It's wonderful to have you here.
2: Thank you, Betsy, and thank you for having me.
1: Well, you already know my first question, which is what is an uncomfortable moment that shaped who you are and what you do in the world now?
2: Yeah, thank you for that question. Well, there are so many uncomfortable moments shaped who I am. I think the most most fundamental part is where I was born and how I was raised up. So uh, it's not really a moment, it's many moments. But it was a moment that when I was born, so my parents decided they will not keep me because I'm a girl. And uh, I, I I didn't look the way they want me to look like. My mom is very beautiful. So at that moment, when I was born, they decided to leave. And um, um, I think that caused my entire childhood to be... Um, extremely unconfident. And uh, I was uh, always thinking I lack something. Uh, other kids have parents, I don't. Other kids, uh, you know, have birthday, I don't. And so, and, and they have, you know, good education with parents, maybe sending them to different kind of uh, places to learn other skills. And I didn't. So my entire I would say life before 20 years old was so uncomfortable and uh, I always felt like I am a few levels behind everyone else. Uh with the same age kids. I always would walk into a classroom feeling, you know, they already knew it and I don't I, I didn't know it and they 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 have this and that and they were talking about so Vividly, that they were talking about the cartoon they were watching, and they were all discussing this cartoon and the figures. And I didn't have a TV, good TV cable. I had a TV, but it was not really getting most of the channels. We had like six channels, when my classmates had like thirty-five channels. So I have no idea what they were talking about, and I had to pretend that I know what they were talking about with all these figures and cartoons and. um, Many, many time. I mean, I would say before my twenty years old, I was working really hard to cover the fact that I didn't have my parents and I didn't have all these, you know, what my my classmates have. Even like watching cartoons, I just I, I never watched it, and I I don't get these cartoons in my channel as well. So it, it was it was all about covering it up and not letting anyone know that I I was different. And I feel like because in also in China the way we are educated is you want to be part of the group, you want to be um you know people if say people say to you, "Oh, you are so different that's uh really criticism <laughs> it it means that you are so bad and you are others are good and look at you you know so you don't want people to tell you oh, you're so different <laughs> whereas now. You know, in a in a current world I'm living in, you are different. It's such a good compliment. Hopefully, yes, because I certainly get that a lot. <laughs> and so, how has that shaped you now? Yeah, I think it shaped me. At the point, I, I was always feeling like a victim. Like you know, I, I want to be taken care of. I I I felt like all this happened to me. Up until actually late ten years, I would say I realized that all that happened for me, it shaped who I am. It shaped, I mean, for example, never had a birthday celebration in my life, and my in my childhood. Now I have with my husband uh, and my kids like to celebrate, but it it teaches me that you know age doesn't matter. Like. All right, you can be doing anything you want when you are very, like I went to the become a part of the management team member when I was 26. And I was sitting with a group of people who are maybe average age 40, 45 or even above. And that was not a problem for me because since I brought up age was not a thing and we don't celebrate a birthday anyway. So for me, being 26 in that group does not make me feel anything you know, I'm the youngest or anything like that. I, I do think about that, but it's not a big thing for me. And now I'm uh, at age, so I started business when I was age 38, which was this year. It's also not a thing for me to start too early or too late. So that's that's first, you know, that's an example of of what things happen for me and have not happened to me. And second is if I would be, if I think I would be with my parents and. They, they never you know they were not happy with me, but they still take care of me. If that would be that case, I'd probably not be who I am today as well because I'll probably more following their personality and the way they think and so i i I really think that experience of childhood shaped who I am or how I deal with things, how I look at things, and how I build my husband like used the word you are unbreakable. <laughs> <laughs> to me, and I, I kind of, you know, I'm not unbreakable. I mean, he said you have a very feminine, and you look so small, but you are unbreakable. He always say that, and I, and I, I, I didn't really have any mentor, you know, big education to help me to be um, resilient. But this experience that I had when I was a childhood actually just built me to be unbreakable. Hmm. Wow, what a beautiful way to pull that together and
1: that point about seeing things happening for you rather than to you is a fundamental approach that shapes the direction you take anything. Because if you believe that you're a victim, you have a completely different presence in the world than if you believe that everything happens for a reason. I love that. Thank you, Tiffany. So just to sort of bring the, the full picture to life for people of how you grew up, did you grow up in a home then? Or, you know, like a home for kids without parents? Or did you have foster
2: parents? Or what was the situation? Yeah, so the situation is a bit complicated. So I was brought up by my grandparents from my father's side. And my parents left, left the city, left everything. And so the, um, the entire childhood I was with my grandparents, my grandparents they were in you know, a quite low income and a poor situation. That's why I didn't have all these TVs and all these things. And um also they were, you know, they, they were just in a survival mode. What they wanted just to keep me to survive. Like, okay, you have clothes, you 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 have a place to sleep. And um so I the first time I met my parents was when I was seven years old. It's about the time when kids go to primary school um in China and they came back and thought they might want to give it a second chance to see if they want to live with me. And <laughs> I think within a week they decided no. <laughs> so they left again, um, because as I said, I, I was not really getting any education. So they were asking me questions, a seven year old should know, and I had no idea. <laughs> they were showing me some cartoons they brought <clears throat> from from their place and I have no idea as well. So they were like, okay, she's done. And um, I, I don't think she will, they, they didn't think I will graduate from middle school or even primary school. So first is they briefed my grandparents to put me in a school far, far, far away so that the neighbor would not know that I would never graduate. So I was I was in a school that uh, other kids could just cross the street and I need to bus and bike. and So going a very far place. And second is um they decided, oh okay, I mean, bring her back. It's gonna just embarrass us, so let's not do it. So they left. At that point I was really aware why they left again. And I was also aware why they come back. They they were want they wanted to give me a second, give me or give themselves a second chance.
1: Oh wow, that is intense. I did not know that was going to be the answer, but sort of auditioned and then rejected and here you are absolutely unbreakably smiling and just saying it like it is it's without any seeming bitterness because this is this is where it's interesting to hear about what did that lead you to and also like what was your dream for the future so you had parents who were like oh my god she's so hopeless send her to another school where no one knows her so we don't feel ashamed when she fails and, and having been rejected by these people who created you and gave you birth, but then you dreamt of something bigger. You didn't let it hold you back. You didn't let that be your destiny that you then manifested. So talk about what you dreamt of and then
2: how you got there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I I mean, part of them were right. I, I was not good at majority of the um, classes at school. So I was not good at math. I was not good at the chemistry and even 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 physical uh you know exercise i was not even good at that but there's one thing i'm good at that is language so i decided that i want to learn english and i want to be speaking very fluent english uh, if we going back 20 years ago i was not really speaking english <laughs> so and so the the desire of to learn English and I'm really good at it and so I'm I'm always the highest score only in English class in, in my school so and it led me to a whole new world this language because to learn English at that time in China you didn't have so much material to learn you hear a lot of Chinese talk English but uh, at at some point I was at a, a university and I I thought it's it's time to learn real English so I start to uh, search, where can I find real English from <laughs> native speakers, English, English, British English or American English. And then I <clears throat> I started from, you know, at that time we had a NPR, a cassette, NPR uh, is like radio, right? So I, I I got that from the library and I didn't understand the world <laughs> of what they're talking about. In It was speaking so fast and so different from the Chinese speaking English. So I thought, okay, that's that's too tough. So uh, I want I, I'm if I have something visual, I can help me better. Then I start to search for other opportunities. Then I find this DVD uh, and from uh, in front of school, a little shop, and this DVD is the most powerful woman in the world. And I also have no idea what, what I will understand, but I understand there will be some visual uh, to watch. So so I don't just listen to cassette because it's so hard for me. Then I, then I got this DVD, and I started to watch it. It was the most powerful woman in the world at that time. It was a, I remember the Hewlett-Packard uh, CEO. Um, is it was a California. So, yeah, so she I I watched her, and then there was a Hillary Clinton. There was many others. And when I watched them, I still, at that point, do not understand everything. But the way they had interview and they were on stage, they speak much slower than the NPR. So... <laughs> I listen to it one one um every day. On the way to school, bus on the bus when I walk. And uh I had a few other DVDs I find that helped me. Then I then I was thinking, hey, I want to be like them. <laughs> I want to be like them, I want to be the most powerful woman in the world. And <clears throat> it's really the the way they speak, their confidence, the their generosity. And it really attracted me, and I, I was like, I find my role model. I want to be like them through learning English. Then, of course, it opens much more doors and much more a view of getting to learn the not just the language anymore, the culture, how uh, Western world think, how you know women of success think, uh, what do they do, how do they climb the career ladder, how. Uh, the more you read them the more you find or well, most people have you know traumas in their childhood and you might many of the time when we are in our own tragic world something really bad happened unfortunate thing happened you think it's just like you are the only one in the world that had it you feel like oh, uh, you know why is this happening to me but when you listen to them you realize you're not the only one there are so much people who had uh even worse, <laughs> childhood and um, you know being badly treated or unfairly treated or um, have you know um, parents who are who are not able to give them the best childhood they can have, and so much people has it, and that does not impact anything of the future life they could have. It's not limiting um, any of that. And when when this belief come inside of me, I decide that. I'm never going to look back. I'm always going to look forward. And I started at that time, you know, I was still not knowing what I'm going to do. And, and, but I, I started to envision at that time that I want to work in this, you know, I lived in Shanghai, so lots of skyscrapers. I want to go to this building to work, which is like one of the most expensive um, the skyscrapers in the CBD area. And I want to wear high, high heel shoes. Yeah, it's like a baseball
1: player who points at the fences and you're like, I'm going to work there. I'm going to go <laughs> with my nice shoes yes. and my handbag. Work exactly, there.
2: with a handbag. And um, so I had a very clear picture at that time. And I, would, I wouldn't say not very clear. The very, very clear picture came when I went to my first job. And magically, I mean, I can, I can already give you the ending is I got that picture six year, 16 years later, exactly the way I saw it 16 years earlier on my first job.
1: So you rose through the ranks. You did it. I find it really interesting that through learning English, well, learning any language changes your brain. It changes your perspective. But I, I love that you found your female role models. And it's so interesting to me that they're American, right? Sort of strong corporate, you know, it's, it's such a different culture than probably female leaders that you saw in China. And I mean, how was that different? Was that a, I mean, how are you a hybrid of those things now? I guess I'm interested in, you've taken the best of all these cultures that you're part of or have, have really studied and made them work as Tiffany Chang. So what are you now? What's your blend?
2: Yeah, I'm a really, uh, I would say a mix. And sometimes when I when I, that makes uh, it actually a very difficult. When I just came to Europe, and uh, when I was working in China, I I didn't see that. Uh, I also felt the difference because I had already these two mix. But when I came to Europe, I was it was really hard for me too. Especially when I was leading people, I was um, leading projects, and I had that. I was um. Can give you an example and uh when when uh we were I was the head of internal communication and at Volvo and uh, uh I was already global headquarters so I had a global role and we spent so much time in finding way to have better employee satisfaction and sometimes i find it will go a bit overboard of how we can make our employee happy and satisfied and uh and uh have them stay here forever and that's uh something was very hard for me to understand because as a chinese (laughs) uh, where we were educated you know when you come to work it's where you come to suffer (laughs) you are not supposed to be happy and satisfied you should you know ready to to fight and uh, give the best of yourself and uh and uh, yeah, fight! <laughs> You're not supposed to be comfortable, satisfied. And we were talking about having the best coffee machine, in the office. You know, the beans have to be upgraded. <laughs> i <It> was like.
1: <laughs> and just just to point out to people, I mean, Volvo. It's a Swedish company, and Scandinavian companies and cultures in particular are all about community and taking coffee breaks together and you know if you know about fika it's a swedish thing where you all stop and if you don't stop and have coffee with your colleagues you are weird and being antisocial. so
0: wow what a culture shock for you
1: and it wasn't just you it was scandinavian working culture swedish working culture in particular Wow, you really got dumped in the deep end of culture shock on work culture there didn't you so then yeah continue sorry to interrupt i just thought that was fun a fun remark if people aren't familiar with swedish working culture it's fun i did some work
2: yeah oh there's there are so many uh, another a very obvious one is uh, swedes take approximately six weeks off during summertime <clears throat> so and um, these six weeks you don't expect to get anything done or find anybody it's just off it's it's even the factory shut down so and uh it it I mean, I've been in Europe now for ten years, and I still have hard time to take more than two weeks off. Like, I I couldn't. I just uh, in China, you know, my first job has like five days off entire year, get five days, and maybe second job has eight days. (laughs) It's like now having like thirty days is I don't even know what to do with them. Like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) you'll get used to it. I grew up in the United States, and I. I now wouldn't know what to do without an August off and a January off. And I have no, no desire to find out. So I've adjusted. Have you, are you adjusting? I mean, cause if your husband is European, he's used to European holidays. Has that helped?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it helped I me. Mean, I, I did develop a lot of empathy and uh, to be able to survive and thrive in this, in this side of the world and to, to, to all even even blend in you know so I, I i did develop a lot of empathy like looking at swedes right they have just dark miserable weather and it, it basically many half of the year uh, they have like five to six hours of daylight so summer when the sun doesn't even go down for them so it's so important to to just maximize it and because in the winter it is really really tough to live there and so I developed a lot of empathy to, to look at things because they also need to change their lifestyle. Like we think we can go home and start grocery shopping at five or six, right? In Sweden, it's just everybody is home, already eating dinner, ready to go to bed at that time. You have to like get things done when, when you still have that daylight before between three, four and five. So um, it's, it's a different way to look at things uh, from, from their side. And then I, I understood okay, this is important to them. And I shouldn't expect people to continue the project. You know, like many of the time when I plan project uh, management, I wouldn't, yeah, put aggressive progress at that time because I understood this just meant so much for them. I I could not ask people to, hey, can you instead of take six weeks, take uh, two? And I wouldn't even say that to them.
1: Yeah. Well, also like what a disruption to your comfort zone. I mean, it sounds like you never truly felt at home in the culture you were born into anyway, which it sounds like it also then set you up to adapt and make a home anywhere. So your comfort zone is, what is your comfort zone culturally?
2: Yeah, you know, that's really funny. Great question. What is my comfort zone? So um, the, here's a story that and during the COVID time, so my dream job come, you know, I, I told you the vision I set up 16 years ago, and that was it. That was the, the, the vision I had and, um, I got it and I went. So the job is to be the vice president of um, brand marketing communication for Asia, f o o but I need to go to China to do that job. And, uh, I, but my kids and my husband is, is in Belgium. So I, I I really want to take it, that job. And I, I told my husband, you know, let me go for this one. And after that, we'll live our life comfortable. I will not want to always, you know, pursue the next thing and, uh, and, uh, and put ourselves, because it was such an uncomfortable situation. I put my family and myself in that I went. They didn't. And COVID, door closed between China and, the, and the Belgium. They cannot go. I cannot come. So it was so uncomfortable. And uh, so uh, long story short, I went there and I stayed six months. But during the six months, the the most difficult thing is I didn't know when I'm going to see them. I, the door was still not open by the time of six months. And I was delaying my ticket. I remember Christmas came. By the time Christmas came, I would delayed my ticket for already four times to come back and see them. And it was really hard to uh, to spend birthday birthday certificate, uh, birthday celebrations uh, and uh, Christmas on our iPad. and um I didn't know when I, when I can come back. It was really, really hard for us. My kids were very small at that time. they were two and four and so so then at at that point of six months, I said to myself, you know I could not stay here anymore. i I really miss them, and I don't know when this will end. I have an amazing contract. I was working in the place, living in the place. I and having driver and having car, load. Everything, every single box I set for myself 16, 16 years earlier, it was realized at that point. And, but without kids and my husband. So I was like, okay, i done it. I had it. I know what it's like. My dream ticked. I'm okay to cope, to go back. So I came back, and um, then I become the vice president of Atlas Copco. Then my husband is like, oh, now we can be in our comfort zone. <laughs> now we can be comfortable. We are home all the time because Atlas Copco is unlike Volvo. I didn't. Um, it it the headquarters is here in Belgium, so I didn't need to travel like crazy like when I did at Volvo. So." you know, you have all your colleagues here, we can finally follow in the Belgian holiday because it was, I was always uh, working abroad. Um, it was, for example, Swedish holidays. So Swedish is a holiday, Belgium is not, so I had to work. But this is the first time we actually are following the Belgian time, <laughs> which is the same time as my husband and same time zone. I'm not already working, but when I worked for China a part of the time in Belgium. I was waking up four, three o'clock every day, and we were not really living a good quality life. So my husband is like, finally, you know, we can be comfortable. We can, we don't need to go to the airport every Sunday. <laughs> we don't need to wake up at three o'clock. <laughs> we, we can be very comfortable. Uh, when Belgium's having holiday, you are having holiday with us. So yeah, and that comfort zone didn't stay for so long. And I changed again. Tell us about
1: that, because you recently left the comfort of a corporate career to start your own business. So tell us, this: how is it going? And also, what led to that point where you decided, now is the time, I have to do this?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, Betsy. Um, that's the biggest decision for, for me, um, to... You know, when you are in the corporate world, you have always a letter to you always have the next level to to go next project and um, to to <laughs> finally, you know, go out of that. That's a very comfortable place because you always have people in front of you showing you oh, I've done it. I've done it this way. And this is how you climb. And you just follow other people. And there's always someone you can follow, uh, to put it that way in the corporate world. and. Um, So the point I decided uh, to to leave is when I realized a few things. First is I've ticked all the box I've set for myself. Of course, you know people will say, "Well, okay, you are vice president. Obviously, you can be senior vice president. You can be president. You know, there are so many other ladders you can climb." But for me, that was it. I I have my own vision and I had my own goal, and that was to me. I I'm fine with it. And that's first. And second is um the 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 moment of when I was in China and separating from my kids and I wouldn't have a day passed without crying. I would wake up in tears and going back in uh, to bed in tears and just thinking about my kids. I would see kids in shopping malls on the streets uh similar age with my kids and I I don't have them. I my my drive, I mean, when when the uh, assistant asked me what what kind of driver do you want, I just pick somebody. Don't talk. And so uh, because I was like crying in the car very very often, I don't want somebody to ask me anything. Um, it was just that sad.
1: Every day on the way to work, crying because you weren't with your children and you didn't know when you get to see them again.
2: Yeah. I I was I miss them a lot, and I know they miss me. It was winter time, um, time zoomed as well, seven hours difference, and my kids were sick so much. I was like watching them vomiting from my iPad, and I couldn't do anything. They were crying for me on the iPad. They were like, "I want mama, I want mama," and uh, yeah, I mean, one moment was when my son. I promised him I'll be back when you see Christmas trees, but. <laughs> I couldn't come back at time because I was delaying my ticket in total six times so that time I delayed again because there are always things going on in China and we have one thing after another and obviously my my boss didn't really want me to leave because I think he knew if I would come back probably very hard for me to go to China again without knowing when I can you know so yeah it was it was all these these moments that but I but I didn't let, the, at that point, I, I realized that I need to do something, this is bigger than myself, like I need to control my mind, and I started to, and that was like the biggest learning I had in China, is that I'm not going to let the day take over me, if the day, my my brain in the morning, wake up and say, hey, you know, so many tragic things are in your life, you can see your kids, and you're, they are not here, and there are also many things happening in the office, Um, so... I learned to tell myself, you know, I'm not gonna let my brain to tell me it's time to cry and it's time to be, you know, you're pathetic. You you because also I had a lot of judgment from my European friends and the colleagues of saying you are crazy, you are ridiculous. You go for a job and you abandon your family. So I have all these judgment as well, and I was having, I mean, a lot of hard time on myself of yeah, maybe I am a horrible person, you know, I I, I, I want the job and I, 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 I don't care about my kids. So. Let me just interrupt, because what blows my mind there
1: is actually, would anyone say that to a man? You're going for this job, this advancement, and you're abandoning your family. Probably not. So there's that additional pressure of being a woman in in that position wow that's a lot of guilt to carry a lot of
2: projection of a lot of you things you're absolutely correct because not that was I'm not the only one in there and i had um two more um similar level right they are also important people and they're men so they obviously didn't have that guilt i mean they of course feel bad they didn't see their family also as long as like me but they didn't they didn't have that um gu- guilty feeling and i i I never heard anyone saying like, okay, you abandon your family and you, you're horrible. You, It's for a job and you're being ridiculous. I, I, I had this word ridiculous describing me from many, many people here and from my Swedish colleagues as well. And so I really, I mean, I also I had a lot of challenges from the job, et cetera, in, in China, it's a big job. So I learned I'm going to take over that feeling in the morning. And from, so I, was, I always had a habit of waking up one hour earlier. So, and I would use that time to read, learn something new or do yoga or, you know, um, and also very important is to clear my mind and, and think what would I do this day to make this day amazing? Like, okay, we are already in this situation. What can I do to cheer my kids up? What can I do to, you know, because we're on the, FaceTime every day, and what 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 is it that I could make this experience amazing for them and for me? If they see me living happily here and proud of what I'm doing, they will feel ease as well. I don't want them to see me cry and um, see me just saying "We miss you, you miss me." I want to, so I would do things. So Volvo, you know, we we uh, manufacture um uh, these uh, very cool construction equipment. So every noon time. My kids, it's morning time. They call me and I would go for a walk and take them on my phone. And say, Look at this great machine, this excavator. It can take 90 tons of, of, you know, move 90 tons of dirt. And I would take them around the factory. And every day we do that if I can, right? So my kids were, wow, you work in an amazing place. And so I would do these things because in the morning I just tell myself, we're going to make this day an amazing day. This will be the day I enjoyed the time here and my kids enjoyed, you know, any moment we share together. So that that experience itself, when I came back, you ask me why I what makes me to make this change is I realized I have just learned something so powerful and I'm not gonna waste it to just live a comfortable life.
1: Oh wow. <laughs> What you learned was that actually a comfortable life isn't the ultimate thing to strive for. It sounds like there's more to it than that. There's your relationships, your children, and being true to what makes you truly happy. But what an amazing process, though, of having achieved the thing you thought you wanted to achieve and realizing it was making you miserable because it it wasn't all there was to life. But I did find that point about all the guilt that was projected onto you as a mother, as a woman, that you also decided not to take on, it sounds like. So good for you. Bravo for being unbreakable and just kind of Teflon and being like, nope, not going to stick to me. And being a great example to your kids. I mean, you have you have a little girl, right? So to see a mom who is highly successful, deciding not to feel guilty about pursuing what she's always dreamt of, and then to also decide to leave it is quite an amazing example for, well, children in general, but especially you know, a little girl, because you talked about how there's always someone to follow. But the path that you've now stepped onto, there aren't necessarily a lot of people to follow, right? Because I know we've sort of bonded in, in this about, about sort of, you know, this is a path that I've been on myself for quite a few years, but it's more a crowd of peers. There isn't so much, you know, this crowd of elders to look toward, mentors to look toward, or a very set progression as an entrepreneur, or just Simply as someone who is really committed to pursuing my personal purpose, you know, it's so individual. So once you stepped away from that corporate path, that sort of easy, there's a ladder, there are certain things you do, certain sort of politics and rules you adhere to in order to get to the next level. Where do you find yourself now? What path
2: are you on now? Yeah, so now i've started my business and um, that's something i actually always wanted to do um, but i just never know how to do it and what is it like i mean if you think about many of the you know uh, most powerful women in the world many of them didn't get there to climbing career ladder and most of them are self-made entrepreneurs and um second is yeah, when you look at, you read many great books, the New York bestseller. And I also realized that if I want to take action on these books, most of these books are not written by corporate employees as well. And <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, I, <clears throat> one thing I, I, I always think is, you know, I don't want to read like 52 books a year and take absolutely no action. I can read one book a year, but I want to take action on it, but I realized that, oh, to take action from these books i'm I'm not gonna do it in the in the corporate world i wanna so I really want to execute and because of these things I have learned from the experience in China, and I think the third thing I learned in China is is the short term instant gratification to delay it and it's a uncomfortable 6 months yes but I also know that I'm building something that in the future I do not need to leave my kids anymore for you know every sunday or for business trips or etc it, it was it was a delayed gratification and um so I took it even further and now because as you know the time of of the time horizon really says how um you you know the marshmallow um experiment, right? You the, the people, oh, the kids right? who were who waited the longest, right? They waited for the second marshmallow. They were followed 40 years later. And these are these are the ones that almost achieved every great aspect of their life. And so as entrepreneur, I also need to learn that. Because as a corporate employee, you you get end of the month you have a salary, right? You can do a horrible job this month, but your salary doesn't change. And you, you know that by that time you you have you have a you have a payback. Or you you have a bonus maybe once a year, right? You know that at the time of a year you get a you get a reward. But as entrepreneur, I'm building a business is not about instant gratification. Like I can I can make a lot of quick money very fast as well. If I just you know be a freelancer, go, it, I can I can do it very get a lot of, lot of return. But I choose to not to. I'm willing to let that delayed gratification come later, and instead I choose to build a business that I will enjoy, the lifestyle I wanted, the business I wanted, and help the people I want to help, and build things and in, not really enjoying, but take this loneliness because. Mm-hmm. Where am I now? Is it's very lonely to be an entrepreneur. You don't have that office place and have these colleagues to call, and and have you know share a lot of uh, experience with, which I was was something I I actually miss. But I started to enjoy it, and you know it's 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 lonely, but I'm building the future that I could see, just like 16 years ago when I was seeing these skyscrapers and high heel shoes and everything I was li- and. If I can see that I can achieve that if I can believe that I can achieve that Absolutely. so that's that's first and second is um, be able to do the work that I was not willing to do before um, mm. being a employee I mean I give you an example I had a team and we were having a lot of videos to edit and I was telling my team okay um, your time's better off you do doing something else let let someone else edit the video for you and I myself now is editing the video sometimes I was <laughs> like what am I doing the things I don't even let an intern or a, the the entry-level specialist do why am I doing that right, right now and there are so many other things right but I choose to do it because I'm learning something new and it's a commitment I had to myself and it's if I say you know, today. It's a day I'm going to film four videos. Even if I feel really, really don't want to do it, I will do it. Because I think it's not about commitment to other people. You gain egos or confidence. It's really the commitment to yourself. If you commit to yourself, you say, today I will do this. At the end of the day, you didn't do it. The worst suffered person is myself of thinking, okay, you, you didn't do it. You feel bad in the end of the day. If you in the morning even you feel not so inspired to 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 do it but you because I the day I always have a habit the day uh finish I always have a plan for tomorrow mm. and so tomorrow it's not a negotiation do I feel like doing it or I don't they'll be like, today's the day you do it. (laughs) So you just do it. (laughs)
1: Without, I think the thing about being an entrepreneur is you have to do it without knowing there's necessarily going to be a reward for it. And that can be really hard. I mean, I know I'm struggling with it right now just because there's so much in transition in my life that there are some days I really just want to climb back into bed, but it's like, nope, got to do this thing. I don't know if anything's going to come of it, but I'm going to do it. You know, sort of like continuing this podcast because I love it. And because I feel like it puts something good into the world. So, yeah, I hope that lands for somebody listening to this. There is the reward for yourself of doing something because you said you would do it. Just showing up for yourself, showing up for those things. And also what you said about like having to do things that you never thought you'd have to be good at or probably don't even want to do. That is so entrepreneur life. (laughs) We all end up having to do things. We're like, oh, do I really have to do all the invoicing and all the editing and all the really yeah sometimes i miss having a team too but at the end of the day you know your business inside and out as a result right
2: absolutely i I think we need to it's like you know if if i know how to do it i don't need to be excellent at it but if in the future i have a team i know what good look like Mm -hmm. right otherwise you just listen to them and um you you don't even know because it's a small business if i would be running a company with a hundred thousand people i probably would not ask myself to do that but entrepreneur small business is a different thing you just even you don't become excellent at it but you know the process and you also appreciate when now i have people i uh, hired people so i would appreciate i would know that to achieve that result how much time it would take him to do it and i would appreciate if i think it's a you know 30 second video why did it take you five hours but my if myself has gone through that i wouldn't be much more empathetic about, yeah. It 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 just needs five hours. I shouldn't be so picky. <laughs>
1: yeah, it does make you more empathetic, doesn't it? Because when you truly understand a job, you, it, yeah, it makes you much nicer about other people's jobs, and you understand what you don't understand as well. So you're like, yeah, I'm not the expert on this. I'm gonna trust you. Yeah, I found that has made me an empathetic boss or client when somebody's doing something. But yeah, I totally agree. So. Tell people about what you're doing now. What is your work, and what is your purpose that has led you to this work?
2: So what I do is I help leaders who are already in quite senior positions, but they are stuck. They're either stuck in their growth. You know, some leaders you 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 see, see them. They they yeah they climb into a certain level, and it's just like okay, but between now and until I retire, there's still 20 years. What do I do now? Like, you know, so many of them I, I see just carry on and and in this job for 20 years, which is so, so common. And it's like some, somehow they lost their own growth. They, they think, oh, it's time to give back. I'm going to mentor other people. But at some point, you still need to improve yourself because you are mentoring the people with the outdated way you climb the ladder, which it does not like time management, for example it it's, it's a different way to do it now so um so these people is is my my who i want to help the the, the leaders who are stuck and yes you you have a very high achievers but what to go about next how to develop yourself next and i always say you know there are two life one life is the current one you are living and another one is beyond your widest dreams be using all your skills and you you the the lifestyle you dream about, the people you dream to meet every day, the the network you have, the example you can give to your kids, even though maybe you are already in 45, 60, 50 years old, you still have so many years to go. Now the retired age is going even pushing further, right? You still have 17 to 20 plus years to go. Don't just at that point, stop thinking, I'm going to, you know, sit back and mentor people. <laughs> That's, um, you, you, there are another life out there for you. And my, I myself doing this is to prove to you it's possible. And second is people who don't really know how to set goals. You, you ask most people, oh, uh, corporate uh, leaders, what's your goal? I want to be um from maybe vice president to the senior vice president or from director to vice president, they, they were setting up very small goals, like um, I would say three years, three years to five years ago. But a true goal, true vision is something excites you that you feel like it's so far ahead and it's so inspiring. Like if you think about yourself living that way, talking that way, meeting these people, and having all these things you want to have, no matter what it is, you would feel so inspired that all the current sacrifice seems to be nothing to you. Like setting up goals is not something people are used to. We are all taught being really good at setting up goals for big companies like 2030, 2045, 2050, zero emission, and everything is autonomous and everything is, is uh, connected. But when it comes to setting Go for ourselves we think small like oh what is next year what is three years why don't you set say something like you said for your company because when you set bigger goals when you set a vision that is so compelling you will challenge your brain to think differently to behave differently The, the because if you set small goal you'll be like what's what's the point of me sacrificing all this and doing all this extra work just to go there like have 5% um, salary increase or that wouldn't inspire so much, right? So that's I, second.
1: I have yeah. a question about that because a lot of people do set goals like that, but you just think when you put it like that, it's so clear that you're like, so you're sacrificing seeing your children and their childhood, or you're sacrificing having any free time or yours. And I'm talking about people in corporate life for a goal that is in just three years. That's it. That's, it just seems like such a crappy return on investment. at such a low bar when you put it like that. It's really striking. So yeah, I just wanted to pull that out. and Yeah, when you put it like that, wow, that's so not worth it.
2: <laughs> that's why most people don't pursue and don't execute and just live life like autopilot. Like you're autopiloting every day. You... You you think like this because your colleague are thinking like this. You go to work because everybody does that. You go to lunch because it's lunch time. You go home and uh, and uh, yeah, you just you just let the day take over you because what's the point to do all these things? And also that's why you know many people like trying to lose weight. There are so many weight loss of, uh trainings and courses and videos and books, but are we really lost all these weight? No, because the goals are so small. It's like okay, it's, it's not really worth it. Let me just be comfortable sitting on my sofa, eat my, my chips and, and watch TV.
1: Comfortable is a big, is a big word for me to pull out there because obviously I'm slightly obsessed with discomfort, but it's something that I say a lot in my sessions as well, but it's about your comfort zone isn't necessarily good for you. It's just comfortable. So you're actually helping people to jump out of their comfort zones, aren't you? And to expand their comfort zones and to find that big life that they could be living. It's just there. But I mean, we are programmed to just go on autopilot. It's easier. It's more efficient. It's how we're biologically wired, but I like that you're out there just gently, or maybe not so gently, I don't know, shaking people out of their comfort zones and helping them to make plans. It sounds like to actually jump out of their comfort zones and have a path to follow once they're there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I designed the coaching program in this way. I know many people just want to come and say, hey, t- tell me the communication tactics. Like, I mean, tactics, you can Google. You don't need me. I, I mean, you don't need to pay me to learn that. Uh, read books or go to Google. But the, the thing is to, without these steps, I can tell you many tactics. It wouldn't work, right? It would be a very short term, and it wouldn't get you to that desired like wow this beyond your wildest dream imagine the day i was in china and just thinking about this vp role and all these things i beyond what i could dream about i mean i it, if you think that you will think okay this sacrifice is nothing people are saying to me means things they're they, they saying you don't belong here you you know it doesn't matter because these are just temporary. I don't see you. I, I see my goal. You need to have something like that to, to tell you this, this, to sacrifice this is nothing. To work these extra things is nothing.
1: I want to ask you about the discomfort you've encountered from others since choosing to step out of your comfort zone, your corporate life, and forge your own path. Because I know you were telling me a little bit about people have not necessarily responded well, they think you're a bit crazy or they would have you back in an instant. So, yeah, tell us a bit about the discomfort of the pressure you get to go back to the comfort zone that is somebody else's comfort zone.
2: Oh, yeah, that's I had a lot, especially at the time I was deciding to to take this step. And um, I was still not entirely, uh, you know, out of the corporate world yet. and. And also Uh,
1: interject, this is pretty recent. This is in the last few months, just for those listening. This is not like looking back two, three years. This is is very recent. So just to put it in context.
2: Exactly. So I had, um, so first of all, uh, many of my colleagues heard about it and they don't want to seem to be too discouraging, but to them, they do think, you know, I mean, well, I was talking with one of my colleagues, and he is so talented. He's, anything he sees need to repeatedly doing, he immediately automates it. So he does that system for the factory and for, for uh, many operating systems. And I was like, wow, you are so good at this and building robots. And I said, like, have you ever thought about if you start your own business, you can be like the Elon Musk? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I thought about it, but I also do not want to sleep on the street. And I realized for, the, for many people, entrepreneur, I also had a few others that, when I was taking this step, they were like, oh, I had this you know, idea of all oh, the battery charging stations, building battery charging stations, and you know, I calculated how much uh, um, revenue I could make if I could do it. I was like, why, why don't you don't do it? And he said, I don't want to sleep on the street and sleep under the bridge with my kids. So to many people, uh, entrepreneurship represents risky. Ah uh, broken, sleep on the street, sleep under the bridge, failure and uncertainty well so so that was a lot of these thoughts of my my people are in my network and my surroundings had, and second is when I also tell you know some former colleagues who are also in very high position their first uh, reactions oh come work for me and they were like uh, making a really attractive job offers so it's like what, what are you earning now let me just give you a you know big increase so um i also had uh these temptations of people who wanted me to like okay and to, to come ask me to go back and oh and there are others like okay wh- what are you thinking about the the war is ongoing the conflict the the downturn is right there and uh, um you know you're just not choosing the right time to do so and I mean these are all the external and of course with these external mm, yeah uh, voices and I I also build a lot of internal uh voice which is I need to like the microphone here, I was like, give me the microphone. I I take it from you and I don't want that voice anymore. I'm going to put the microphone in front of myself because these are not really helping me.
1: So you had and... to step away. You actually had to consciously be like, no more lunches, no more job offers. I'm just going to go sit in my little cave and deprogram. Because actually it is a process of deprogramming, isn't it? I can totally relate to that because... You know, when I started freelancing, it wasn't my intention at the time either. It was because I was leaving a job I just could no longer be healthy and stay in. And it, I I'd worried at the time that I was like jumping off a cliff and then discovered it wasn't at all like that. But it took my nervous system a good 2 years to reprogram to the point where I wasn't nervous that I wasn't sitting at a desk doing something 9 to 5. You know, like if I took a little break in the middle of the day, was that okay? And because we are actually really programmed more than we know to be kind of worker bees <laughs> in the matrix of the way the working world has been set up. So, yeah, you've kind of chosen to step away. And is that pretty isolating right now? Are you sort of building new networks or how does that feel for you right now?
2: Yeah, um, one of the things you said really well, Betty. I always remember. is you said, I thought it's like jumping off the cliff, but but it's really just like stairs, like yeah. two stairs.
1: Step down. That was it. Oh, oh, that wasn't so bad after all. It's interesting the catastrophizing people do, and I probably was one of those who was like, I can't step away from a salary. What, where, how will I live? And then you realize you just make it work, and there is abundance that you never dreamt of when you were plugged into a salary. And the ability to, like, I make more now than I did when I was on a salary. And I still have no idea how that happens. And as far as I'm concerned, it's magic. I have a business plan, but do I follow it? No. I let the magic flow is kind of how I approach this. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a far more magical and abundant existence. I spend less money. I waste less money because I don't have to buy things to make myself happy. Because I am just happy. So, I can stay in. I can do my laundry. I can work 3 days a week and still make far more money than I did on a salary because I'm doing the things that bring me joy and that makes people want to hire me, I think, because they respond to that energy even if they don't recognize what it is. And yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you've gotten to that yet or if you're still in a transition into that, but I hope I hope you're there already. I hope you hit that soon if you're not.
2: Aren't you one of them, Betty? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, since I I took that decision, I mean, you are one of the perfect examples that just happened to me. Like, you come to me and I, I was my last month of of deciding made, made decision, but last month in my job, and you approached me to speaking the Cambridge program, and uh, and then you know one thing leads to another to another, um, and many. the other things happen just like that and i think part of it is like i i also keep showing up i mean i put two i put out two videos every week of myself it was so uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) it uh, it was like the first time i uploaded it it was i was took me hours like do i do it do i not do it and um Then I keep telling myself, you know, if you want things you never want and you never had, you have to do things you've never done. So okay, do it.
1: Oh, that's such a good saying. If you want things you never had, you have to do things you've never done. Beautifully put. Yeah, Yeah, and it's excruciating. Anybody who's ever thought, oh, I can't make videos, even the people who do them all the time still find I have to do them all the time, and I still find them excruciating to watch back. But you only get better by watching them back, by experiencing that (laughs) discomfort. And it gets you to a point where you get good at something you may not love. I mean, these I'm kind of neutral about this stuff. I'm like, I, I'm pretty good at it. I don't love doing it, but I do it because it's an effective form of communications and engagement and I actually get what I want out of it. But yeah, yeah, some things that you get good at, you know, you still don't want to be good at, but they're useful.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, eventually these things pay off. I mean, they pay off in many ways. If you keep showing up, even if you don't want to, but you have like me, I have a commitment of two videos a week, and you have a commitment of this podcast, right? In the very in the very beginning, no one watching, no one listening, you, and you probably we are not so good at it either, but you keep doing it. By the <laughs> time you have. How many downloads do you have now?
1: 10,000, right? Yeah, we've we've just hit 10,000 last month. Yeah, and and just if anybody goes back and listens to the first few episodes, I promise I will never take them down because I think it's so useful to remember where you've come from and to have that benchmark and to actually be proud of yourself and just be like, "Oh my gosh, how many podcast editors have I been through? How many have I done myself and done badly?" How to you know, just learning so much and I think it's humbling to have your learning curve be very public. But at the same time, it's like my Instagram feed. I, I've i upped my design over the past couple of years of podcasting and being more on Instagram. And and a, a friend who was one of my designers in the past was like, no, never take down your last season. It shows where you've come from. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it, it is a beautiful thing to be learning in public because also it ties into that, that inspiration of being vulnerable. I mean, Brene Brown reference, insert you know, requisite Brene Brown reference, but it inspires other people to also take that leap maybe and to do something that they're not good at, but it gets them somewhere that they've never been before because who out there is listening to this and thinks I am really bored of doing the same thing because it's safe. I know that there's something more for me, but I'm afraid to do it. Or maybe I know there's something that's better aligned with my values or what I know is my purpose in life or what I suspect is my purpose in life, but I don't know where to start. And the answer is just start. I know that might not sound very helpful. Throw yourself off the motherfucking cliff. It's okay to swear on this podcast, by the way, I do it a lot. Just throw yourself off the cliff and see what happens. You might discover you can fly and you'll never know unless you do it.
2: Absolutely. That is also why we set up big goals. If you set a big goals, like, okay, I'm going to get, uh, with this video, I want to have, um, 200 likes by tomorrow. Then you are like, <laughs> how do I do that? <laughs> yeah, It's your turn goal, right? If you are, set said that was, would you think like one day I'm going to have, you know, 500 video there and I have 500,000 followers and I have all these, you know, um, people that want my, my help and, and I build my business. And you'll be like. Yeah, I I need to do these first fifty videos to get that five hundred and or five thousand videos and five hundred thousand followers. So everybody walk this way. So, um, like you you are saying that you know you're not never gonna delete it. I I, I love it because like Bernie Brown said it about I I love what she said about people criticism criticism and judgment. And I I am so afraid of being judged. I you know who I was before in corporate world is. I never post anything on social media, and i if you go to my LinkedIn a few months earlier, you never see me doing anything. I was just liking it, even sometimes I would write things and I would delete it <laughs> because I just don't want people to judge me or oh, I would write things super um neutral um be very very careful, but what green Brown said i I really liked is that you know if you are creating content, you're putting yourself out there in public, for sure, you should expect you will get your ass kicked. And you are like in the playing arena, right? And you are sweating, you are, you are trying different things. And people who are sitting as an audience watching you and judging you, if there are constructive criticism or feedbacks, I want to listen. But if you are just judging and criticize, but you are sitting there, I have absolutely no respect for you unless you come down to the arena and play with me, and you also get your ass kicked. Then I will respect you and listen to you. Otherwise, it means absolutely nothing to me.
1: I totally agree. And I love that quote. In fact, I think I'm going to pull that quote out and use it in one of the social media posts to promo this episode when it comes out, because... Yeah, if you're not out there getting your ass kicked, I if you're not living a life I would want to live. I'm not interested in your feedback. And it has taken me decades to get to the point of really owning that. I don't know about you. When I I get this certain feeling of like fire inside. When I I tend to bounce off of life. I move fast and break things. I'm an Aries, if that means anything to anybody. But I I love it. I am just sucking the juice out of life. And I'm learning at high speed. And I'm I'm actually learning. I'm not just breaking things. I'm not just falling over. I'm hopefully making things happen. And I'm hopefully learning things. You know, so when somebody says something snarky to me about like, oh, you know, just out of fear of failure. And often that comes out of a projection of their own fear of failure, or fear of the unknown, fear of messing up. And they project that onto me just like, whizzing through life and being like, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's try something different. Oh, well, I'm going to throw everything up in the air and go be a digital no band next year. And, you know, when people say judgy things, I'm finally like, not my problem. That's all about you. I am really happy with how I'm living my life very consciously. And it doesn't mean it's always going to be pretty. It doesn't mean everything's always going to be going well. And it doesn't mean things won't break and I won't have hard moments. But that's part of the process. If you're not Breaking things. If you're not having hard moments, I question what's wrong with your life. Are you just a zombie? Are you playing it so safe that you're not really living? So that's actually my inner monologue. <laughs> I don't say that out loud very often. Most people think I'm just very calm and diplomatic, but you should hear my inner monologue. It's something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. It's
2: a, I love that, and um, you you are you are absolutely right. I think. Um. um so much people are living very comfortably I mean I sometimes I you you would ask people like what do you what's your goal and what what do you want to achieve and you hear people say I have everything I need I'm very happy and I don't know if that's a good answer or not I sometimes felt it's a sad answer <laughs> like
1: depends I think it depends on the timing If you're clinging to that and ignoring any calls to sometimes step into the void, step into the unknown, break out of your comfort zone, definitely a bad thing. But sometimes there is time to be comfortable as well. Comfort in itself is not a bad thing, I would say. So what would you say to people listening to this podcast who might be thinking, ooh, I'm really uncomfortable with what they're talking about. I'm really uncomfortable with what Tiffany's doing with her life because maybe they really want to do the same thing. So what would you say to people who are thinking about it or who just realized that they're thinking about doing the same thing?
2: I think everyone needs to know what they want. Um, I, don't know what, I don't mean what they want in two, three years, but what, what you want in 10 years. I, I say that when I left my corporate to my colleague, I said, you know, we plan our uh, business plan every three years or we think 2030, we think 2050. But uh, our company had our company is 150 years old. Like 3 years is nothing for a company, right? Uh or even 2030 is nothing for a company. It's been there for this long. It will continue 200, 300 years. But you don't have 200, 300 years. And think about yourself in 3 years. How old will you be? 3 years, 4 years, 10 years, whatever you want to think in your own horizon. How old will you be what How old will be your kids and you know people are around you, your parents? What is it that you want at that time for yourself? How would you be living? How would you want to wake up every day? How would you want to be surrounded by what kind of people would you want to be surrounded by and how will you make phone calls? How much should be in your bank account? How much should be you be earning every every month or every year and how how will everything else look like for you, whatever you care, right? Some people can be more material, some people more can be more spiritual and mental. How will you take care of your parents? Like, if you think about all that, describe it that to yourself. And then you look back and say, if I repeat what I'm doing right now, every day, every year, every month, will I get there? And if the answer is no, then you can change, otherwise, if I mean, when when I look at many of my corporate colleagues, I know exactly how if I continue how I will look like, like how I, my future will look like. I probably know the car I will drive. I I will know the uh, house I will have. And most of my colleagues have another house, summer house in Sweden or Spain or somewhere, and I probably have that as well. And is that what I want? Like knowing exactly what I will do in. Ten years, twenty years, and how I will retire, and I will know how much I get when I retire from the insurance and pensions. And do I do I want, and does that does that fit into my vision? If the answer is no, you have to change. You you have you live once and don't regret. We we don't have three hundred years in this planet, right? We have yeah limited limited amount of time, and just you need to live the highest version of yourself and. And not, not go with the crowd, not autopilot, not do it because he, everyone else is doing it, not do it because it's, it feels comfortable. And then you complain the energy bills and you complain the salary increase is not as fast as the inflation or as the uh, all the other expenses. D- don't be that person. Don't complain. If you complain, you think the salary is not increased fast enough, do something with it.
1: Ah. Uh. I can't think of a better way to actually end this chat. I have absolutely nothing to add rather than other than to just say, amen, if you need to step back and see if your plan is working for you. And if it's not change something simply put absolutely clear and completely within the power of anyone listening to this. So I hope that whoever is joining us for this podcast has enjoyed it as much as I have. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for, your time and your insight and your grit that's what came through to me you are unbreakable but also just what a joy for life you have and what a story you have so thank you so much for being here and sharing with us
2: today thank you betsy thank you everyone
0: thanks for getting uncomfortable with me if you enjoyed this episode Follow and like The Discomfort Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave me a five-star and written review and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world. Thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast. And for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at the Betsy Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts. And in the meantime... Stay uncomfortable.